0: Good morning, Palmer. Hey, it's Tom Morley, your teacher librarian, speaking to you. I'm coming today from the ancestral and unceded lands of the Hakamina Language Speaking Group. I'm here today to begin our second podcast on digital citizenship. Um, last week, we talked about, uh, began the idea of digital citizenship. We learned that it's built on a foundation of four core values. Empathy and community building, positive technology use, sharing information, and respect for rights, privacy, and ethics. Now, those are great abstract concepts, but how does understanding that help us to interact with the digital world in which we all swim? Well, today we're going to begin unpacking uh, that that thought. Uh, In fact, we're going to begin unpacking and go back a little bit to really begin to understand the, the role of digital media. So we're going to step back to look at media literacy before we can look at digital literacy, which is going to be the foundation for talking about digital citizenship. So I'm going to start with talking about the media. And being an old English teacher, I like to define my terms. Often this is a useful essay writing technique, by the way. Defining your terms lets you to set the ground rules for what you're discussing and that helps you to focus both your and your reader's thinking. But that's enough essay writing advice thinking about the media. Typically, the media is used as a general term and it's meant used to mean methods of mass communication. So it wasn't meant to mean letter writing. It wasn't usually meant to include essay writing. It was meant to include um, communications that would reach a wide-ranging audience. Now, Historically, That meant broadcasting, typically radio and television, but mostly in the form of news and current events shows, and publishing, typically newspapers and magazines, because these were how important information was disseminated. And this goes all the way back to the 1700s when they were first beginning to introduce newspapers and broadsheets and dailies and so on. Now, it can be argued that this is a narrow definition of media, and it should be included expanded to include movies, music, and television, entertainment shows. Insofar as these forms of communication, they are communications, they also carry important information in the sense that they reflect society back to itself and they embed or challenge societal norms and values. For example, and I'm not going to argue that rock and roll music stopped the Vietnam War. However. Buffy St. Marie's song, The Universal Soldier, or Country Joe McDonald's song, What Are We Fighting For?, challenged the mainstream government messaging about the Vietnam War in ways that were just as compelling and perhaps a lot more memorable than a news report. So yeah, you can see how they could be argued. This sounds pretty obvious. But understanding this is going to have some major implications for the changing landscape that eventually leads to digital, me, digital media, and then for how we understand digital media literacy. <clears throat> now, one of the major and often overlooked changes to the media landscape that took place over the course of the 20th century is the growth of public involvement in and engagement with the media. At the start of the century, in truth for most of the century, Media were largely top-down structures. Somebody at a corporate or national board office decided what the, the communication was gonna be, and they shifted that down to the, the consumers. However, as technology costs come down, technology costs in this case being electronics, microphones, uh, the ability to broadcast, as those costs came down, you saw a larger um, growth or, or interest in community radio stations and community television, community newspapers that challenged the rhetoric or challenged the perceptions of the, the single large owners. Um, this happens during the, the Spanish Civil War. You see it during the, the Depression where different groups challenged the, the largely national rhetoric around the, the nationalist or the national um, visions. Um, and then in, in television, music, and publishing, you see a similar growth. You see smaller presses. You see smaller community and university radio stations. But they were still largely one way. A group of people who had access to the technology would control what was presented to the people who were consuming it. There was a small element of um, community engagement when people would write in, but people weren't directly interacting with the media. So, media literacy. Let's get to that now that we've understood what media, media means. And that's really the topic for today, media literacy. Now, I'm going to start by synthesizing some definitions. I'm drawing from medialiteracynow.org, Wikipedia, and mediasmarts.org to synthesize this, uh, this idea of the media. And media literacy, according to these sources, refers to being able to understand media messages and the systems in which they exist Being able to assess how media messages influence our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. To thoughtfully create a variety of media. And to be able to take action using the power of information and communication to effect change in the world. Once again, we're seeing that these are very active terms, able to assess understand, create, take action. That's all very active uh, behavior. So all of this, being a really media, media literate person means you have to be actively engaged. You can't just be a passive receiver of this stuff. And if we're going to be creators, then we really need to confront some key truths about the media. I'm gonna list them off and then I'm gonna deal with them individually. Most key truths of this. Number one, all media are constructions. Number two, media have commercial implications. Three, audiences negotiate meaning. Four, media have social and political implications. Five, each medium has a unique aesthetic form. So now I'm going to spend a little bit of time unpacking this, and then in the next episode we'll come to talking about digital media literacy. And hopefully this will make it all easier to do. So let's begin with number one, media art constructions. So stepping back when we think about the construction industry, we normally think about building sites. We think about concrete, engineers, architects, and we take it for granted that buildings are planned and purpose-built, that they are safe to inhabit and that someone has inspected them or that builders are well-regulated. We don't typically think of the media that way. We don't think of it as being built or being um, regulated, but obviously someone, or more likely a number of people, constructs a news article. They don't make it up out of thin air, with some exceptions, that like QAnon apparently, but Media is constructed in the sense that people put their reports together from sources, from reporters, from events that happen out in the real world. They construct them uh, in that sense. And it doesn't matter whether that's on radio, television, or in the newspaper. And we need to take some time to think about what that means. Everything in the media is constructed, it's put together by a group of people from a variety of sources. So we need to think about perhaps what are some of the things that are lost when we don't think about the media being put together. When we don't think about it as being put together, we miss the thoughts that people have intentionally chosen to include some things and to leave out others. They have intentionally chosen to focus on one form rather than another. People don't build things just for the hell of it. They only put the time and effort into building something if they have a purpose in mind. So we always need to ask the question when we look at the media, what is their purpose? What are they trying to do? And so people, when they're designing media, always have that purpose in their minds as well, especially with the large corporations, media corporations. Since that's mainly what the media is, it's a corporation or a, a national, nationally sponsored organization that is going to purvey national news. They have a purpose. They are formed with, with uh, the intention to perhaps inform and so on. But corporations at their, at their root have only one primary legal purpose, and that is to make money for their investors. This actually, if they're a corporate corporation and they're incorporated on the the Corporations Act, I believe is their primary purpose, their primary um, legal obligation is to provide a return on investment to their investors. Um, That may not be quite true for a, a national organization like the CBC, but I have my doubts about that as well. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Corporations may have visions, goals, or mission statements. But if they're not providing a return on investment, they will not survive. So why does this matter? Well, it means we always always have to ask the question, how is what they have constructed and what they are showing us, how is that helping them to fulfill their legal obligation to provide a return to their investors? And that brings us to the idea that there is a commercial implication. You see it, obviously, in the mainstream media. Mainstream media has advertising, and advertising is what pays for the mainstream media. And that's part of how they return to their investors. And that also means that when they are putting together their productions, when they're putting together a television show or a news broadcast, they have to think about how is this getting eyeballs onto the the broadcast how is it getting the ad revenue that is going to bring in those dollars and then we have to think about elements like the what are the interactions between the board of governors and the the, the investors and how are they influencing the direction of the of the media all media stations will say that their newsrooms are independent and so on and the I honestly believe that the reporters and so on are trying to be as independent as possible. But there is still an editorial board, and the editorial board is responsible to the board of directors. This brings us to the next idea, um, which is that audiences negotiate meaning. It, most of us like to think that, as the ex-file said, the truth is out there, that everyone who sees the media will understand the same truth. But this simply isn't true. Apart from things like gravity and the speed of light, these physical constants in the real world, meaning or truth of any human construction is subject to negotiation. When I was in university many years ago, we learned that the meaning of a communication is dependent on the interactions or perceptions between three forces, the author, the audience, and the medium in which the message is located. Now, obviously, the author and the audience come to any construction with a different set of experiences, and those experiences influence the way they interpret the language of the medium. And the medium itself comes from a historical context. There is a history around how that medium has been used, how that medium creates a meaning, and what, it, what constitutes meaning within that, mes- within that medium. The meaning in music is quite different, or differently constructed, I should say, from the meaning in a movie, which is different from the meaning in a musical movie. So authors and readers take a lot of time to think about their the, the way meaning is constructed. And the words that are chosen may have different meanings for different audiences. Audiences may hear them differently. You Don't have to think all that far back to see how true this is. Just think back to the Freedom Convoy of January and February in Ottawa. It's really instructive to look back and think about how the different sides used the word freedom to carry many different shades of meaning and to imply many different things. So the audiences in in this case, or the case of the Freedom Convoy, we're interpreting and creating the meaning of the convoy very, very differently. Media have social and political implications. Round number three now. We've talked a bit about this in the commercial implications and the negotiated meaning sections, but it's worth thinking about some of the other ways that media can carry political and social implications. The most obvious means by which media carry social or political implications is in the field of representation. Or more simply, who do you see or hear in the media in question? I'm a child of the late 60s, the 70s, and the early 80s. That's, that's, those were my formative years. And so, during that time, when I think back on it, almost everyone on TV, and I mean everyone on TV, was white and middle class. The people who wrote books or newspaper articles, they were white or middle class the language they used was white and middle class, largely Anglo white too. The world, that world was normal to me. That made sense because that's what I was used to. But when I stop and think about it, that was not normal to the Chan kids who were around the corner from us or to the Hussein child who was up the street. And it's taken me years to understand that among the many other implications of who was shown on the television at that time in my childhood media among those many implications is that for people who weren't like me white middle-class educated well they were absent and by being absent they were being told that they didn't matter in society so the chans who weren't represented Their opinions didn't matter. They weren't represented by the media. Their opinions didn't count. And, you know, I can't help but thinking now, even though we see more representation, I can't help but think how wrong that was. And I also wonder now, who is the media denying existence to now? Who are we not seeing, and what importance, what what does their denial mean for us as a society? All right, next step. The last piece. Each medium has a unique aesthetic form. This is obvious when you think about the difference between music and television, between television and music and the printed word. Obviously, they have different aesthetic forms. But even within each genre, each of those, there are sub-genres. For example, in a music video, You know that you're almost always going to see a band, the song, some dance moves, and some attempt at storytelling in that that video. And when an artist breaks that expectation or pushes the boundary, often they're challenged or they face some backlash for being strange or abnormal. Um, I haven't watched music videos in a long time, so I don't know what the norm is there. And these expectations may seem neutral. It it may seem that the unique aesthetic form doesn't really matter to people. They they don't carry a political or a social weight. But you have to stop and think sometimes. There are definite political um, implications to art. Um, Just think to the 1950s or 30s, there was a form called Soviet Brutalism. Just the name itself tells us something about the, the implications of the, the art style. As a student, you might also think about the fonts you use. Most of us think about which font is going to cram in the most words on a single page, so you can, you know, meet your deadline or get as many words onto your, onto your paper when you're only allowed one paper. By the way, mm-hmm. I think it's time to Roman 12 point. But if you're, on another level, if you're submitting an English paper and you're writing Comic Sans, well, your English teacher may look at that and go, that's not a great choice because Comic Sans suggests childishness and a lack of uh, seriousness. That may not be too bad. It may be something they can forgive. But there is a more serious implication. Some fonts are actually associated with um, more grotesque periods of our history. Um, for example, there is a font, um, I can't quite remember the name of it, but there is a font, particular style of font, that is associated with the Nazi party of the 1930s and is often used by right-wing groups today. So choosing to write in that those fonts carries an implication in itself that you are a member or you are perhaps associated with or sympathetic to those values of the those, those organizations. All right, I'm going on a long way. This is a lot to think about, so I'm going to start wrapping this up. What are my key takeaways for you this week? Most importantly, like citizenship before this, I want you to remember that media literacy is an active concept. Someone who is media literate negotiates meaning. They unpack what the political, social, and commercial implications of a communication are. They examine the aesthetic forms to understand how they're located in a historical context and what it means to them. On a different level, someone who is media literate is also using the media in a conscious way to affect the change in the world. This is straight from the definition. If you're not responding to the media to take action in the world, you're passive and you're not liter- you're not being literate. You're being a, a receptacle into which ideas are poured. So that means you need to be engaging with the media and perhaps creating your own media. And next, even if we are talking about so-called legacy media, it is a much larger field than just newspapers and television shows which is what most people seem to think about and although i haven't focused on it yet very much yet these concepts have real consequences for those for you and those around you all right i think that's more than enough today next time i'm going to begin unpacking the idea of digital media literacy i'm going to slow it down i'm I'm at 22 minutes now here Thanks, that's too long and we're going to try and focus on one concept at a time and really keep an eye on how that influences you. So that's it for today. Um, I'll put a tweet out when the next one comes out. I hope you uh, stay well and go well. Talk to you later.